For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, The Themes of Passover. This is part one of the series. We are doing a series of studies on the biblical festivals. This week, we're going to begin a study on Passover. In understanding Passover, we are going to study the principles and themes of exile and redemption. Passover, or Pesach, is the festival of our freedom. And the freedom is from previously being in bondage to the world and the world system, or being in Egypt and being set free by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Yeshua HaMashiach, and we have been set free to serve the God of Israel. There are four important principles of the Egyptian redemption. Number one, the Egyptian redemption is historic. However, we need to understand the biblical principle that the events which are recorded in the Bible that happened to the patriarchs and what happened to our descendants are prophecies of what will happen to future generations. The Egyptian redemption will teach us about the redemptive work of Yeshua the Messiah as well as teaching us about our personal redemption in Yeshua the Messiah. So in order to understand how these things are so, we need to understand that when the covenant was made with Abraham, it was actually Yeshua who made that covenant with Abraham. It was willed to be made by the Heavenly Father, but the one who actually administered and made the covenant with Abraham was the Messiah. So let's see how this is so. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get the out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So it was said of Abraham that the God of Israel would bless those that bless him, curse those that curse him because in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. Let's cross reference this with Psalm 72. In Psalm 72 verse 1 it says, Give king your judgment judgments, O God, and your righteousness 
unto the king's son. So it's speaking about the king's son. And it says about the king's son, He shall judge your people with righteousness and the poor with judgment. Who is the one that judges the people of the God of Israel with righteousness and the poor with judgment? It is Yeshua, the Messiah. And what does it say about him in verse 17? His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. And all nations shall call him blessed. In Genesis 12, all nations are calling Abraham blessed. Here, all nations are calling Yeshua blessed. How are they both referred to in the same way? Is because they entered into covenant with each other. When you enter into covenant, then what is one is the others, and what is others is yours as well. You are a chad. You are one when you make a covenant. Another way we can see this is in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. It says, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And so the one who was speaking with Abraham is Almighty God. In Hebrew, that is El Shaddai. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it says, Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so amen. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who's this speaking of? Yeshua the Messiah, says the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Yeshua, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, and every eye will see him, is referred to as the Almighty. Translate this into Hebrew. I'm El Shaddai. It was Yeshua back here who said, I am El Shaddai in Genesis 17.1, as we can see in Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. So once again, it is Yeshua who made the covenant with Abraham. Now let's look at this from another angle. Genesis 17, verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and your seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to your seed after thee the land where you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, we can cross-reference what was said here in Genesis chapter 17 with Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 and then verse 29. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says not into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Messiah. Galatians 3.16, quoting Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. And then it says in Galatians 3.29, If you be Messiahs, then are you Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. How am I an heir of what was promised to Abraham? Because it's Yeshua that made the covenant with Abraham. And I'm a believer in Yeshua, so I'm an heir of the covenant that he made with Abraham. So we've examined this from a number of different angles to validate and verify that it is Yeshua the Messiah who made the covenant with Abraham. Now, in looking at the covenant, it says in Genesis 15, verses 12 through 14, it says, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Remember, the events that happen in the lives of the patriarchs are prophecies of what will happen to their future descendants. So actually what is happening here is a prophecy. It's a prophetic act of what will happen to the descendants. And so what's being told here is this deep sleep is a picture of spiritual slumber. And we'll examine that in greater detail as we go forward in the teaching. And lo, a whore of great darkness, great darkness is a reference to exile, fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. This is referring to exile. And they will serve them, which means that they will disobey Torah. And they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they will serve will I judge. This has got to be a prophecy 
prophecy and a pattern of when Yahweh redeems his people, he judges those who took his people captive. This is a reference to the judgment of the nations, and afterwards they will come out, which is redeemed from exile, with great substance. Now, if the events of the lives of the patriarchs are prophecies of what will happen to the descendants, we see here how that Yeshua, the Messiah, made a covenant with Abraham, and as a part of this covenant, and what was told unto him is that he, a seed, would go down to Egypt. So, how did they get down to Egypt in order that they one day would be redeemed? Well, the Torah goes on to explain how Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and there is a rift between the sons, and ultimately the brothers sell Joseph into slavery. They sell his brother, and in the process of events, Joseph ends up going down to Egypt. After he goes down to Egypt, he goes through various tests, and then in the fullness of time, there is a reuniting of Joseph with his brothers. This is a prophecy. This is a pattern of redemption. Genesis 45, 1, then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him, and he cried, cause every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Genesis 45, verse 1, and then in verse 7. From these events, the children of Israel end up dwelling in the land of Goshen. Genesis 45, 9, and 10. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near unto me, you and your children, and your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. This is ultimately how the children of Israel get into Egypt. Now I want you to notice the connection of them going down to Egypt, the events that happened with Joseph, and then the Egyptian redemption. The end of the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25, it says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you. We're going to examine later that that phrase, God will visit you, is a idiomatic expression that means he's going to redeem his people. And I will bring you out of this land, under the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from there. So we see the connection between Joseph and his brothers with the redemption because as a part of this process, the bones of Joseph are to be taken to the promised land. So in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, Moses does this. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones hence with you. So now a place where this principle is mentioned that the events that happened to the patriarchs are signs or prophecies to their descendants. Rabbi Schneerson of the Chabad Lubavitch Hasidic sect of Judaism in the book that he wrote in the Garden of Korah states this principle that the deeds of the patriarchs are signs for their descendants. And then in the Torah anthology in a commentary to Amos in chapter 9 referencing to the event of Joseph revealing himself to his brothers it says this is on page 459 of the Torah anthology of the 12 prophet book 1 to Amos chapter 9 the story of Joseph and his brothers Genesis chapter 38 through 50 is not an unfolding of chance event every detail stemmed from God and served his purpose for the almighty unfolded the deeds of the fathers as a sign for the descendants the conflicts between Joseph and his brothers were an indication regarding the future splitting of the kingdom of Israel into the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Ephraim, son of Joseph. When later Joseph made himself known to his brothers, the reconciliation which ensued
pursued, Genesis chapter 45, alludes to a future time. The two kingdoms will unite into a single dominion. Thus, the Midrash teaches, he sent Judah before him to Joseph to show the way before him to Goshen. Genesis chapter 46, verse 28. The scripture writes, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 25. The wolf is Benjamin, and the lamb represents the ten tribes, as it says, Israel is a scattered sheep. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 17. And the lion will eat straw. Isaiah 65, 25. The lion is Judah. As it says, Judah is a lion's whelp. Genesis chapter 49, verse 9. In the art scroll, which is an Orthodox Jewish publication of Genesis, and the commentary here to these events, it says the following. The reunion of Joseph and Judah brought about the redemption of their family from the exile of antagonism and isolation and paved the way for the growth of Israel into a great and a mighty nation. The Midrash also implies that the redemption from the current last exile, that's the present one, is foreshadowed in the Egyptian experience. Joseph's personal exile from his family is likened to the national history of the last 19 centuries. If the renewed love of those brothers are duplicated by their modern descendants, our redemption from exile will come as did theirs. Because the rabbis teach in part that part of the reason for the second temple being destroyed was baseless hatred between brethren of the family of the God of Israel. So once again, going back and looking at when the covenant was made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 verses 12 through 14, we are going to see the commentary to this that is found in Midrash Rabbah, Genesis 44, 17. And it came to pass that when the sun was going down and lo, a dread, even a great darkness fell upon him. Genesis 15 verse 12. The rabbinic commentary is dread refers to Babylon as it is written. Then was Nebuchadnezzar filled with fury. Daniel chapter 3 verse 19. Darkness refers to media which darkened the eyes of Israel with fasting and tribulation. Great refers to Greece. Fell upon him alludes to Edom or Rome as it is written. The earth quakes at the noise of their fall. Jeremiah chapter 49 and verse 21. Other views reverse the application. Fell upon him alludes to Babylon as it is written. Fallen and fallen is Babylon. Isaiah 21 9. Great alludes to media as it is written. King Ahasuerus did make great in Esther chapter 3 verse 1. Darkness alludes to Greece that darkened the eyes of Israel with its decrees. And dread alludes to Rome or Edom as it is written. After this I saw a fourth beast dreadful and terrible. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7. So there is a link of the historical Egyptian redemption to the future end of the exile of Jacob which the future end of the exile of Jacob is associated with the coming of the Messiah in the Messianic era. In Micah chapter 7 verse 15 it says according to the day of your coming out of the land of Egypt will I show unto him marvelous things. Days? Why does it refer to days in Micah chapter 7 verse 15? There is a commentary to this verse by Rebbe Schneerson in the book Anticipating the Redemption. On page 104 it says it is well known that in the interpretation of Micah chapter 7 verse 15 as in the days of your exodus from Egypt emphasis is placed on the use of the plural term day for the exodus from Egypt took place in one day as such the commandment to recall the exodus states in the Torah remember this day on which you left Egypt it is also written in the Torah so that you will recall the day on which you left Egypt so if the Torah refers to coming out of Egypt was a day why in Micah chapter 7 verse 15 does it use the plural day 
as your days coming out of Egypt. It is because the whole period of time of being redeemed from the world and the world system coming out of Egypt until we get to the Messianic era, that whole period of time we are still, until we're totally redeemed, until Messiah is ruling and reigning on the earth and teaching the Torah to Jerusalem, we are still in exile or an element and aspect of exile. So the commentary in the book in the Garden of Torah by Rebbe Schneerson says the exodus from Egypt is connected to the final and ultimate redemption. Once again, that's because the days from the Egyptian redemption to the Messianic redemption, that whole period of time is the time of coming out of Egypt. So it's a member, Hebraically, prophecy is fulfilled here now, but not yet. It's fulfilled in part, but not in its fullness. So they did come out, but not in its fullness. We could come out individually, but not all the world has come out. So we're in Egypt, we're out of Egypt in part, but here we're talking about the fullness of the redemption from the world and the world system. The Messianic redemption will have signs and wonders. Once again, Micah 7.15, as in the days of your exodus from Egypt, I will show you marvelous things. It's necessary to understand that the future redemption will be far loftier than the redemption from Egypt. I'm once again reading the commentary from Rabbi Schneerson's book, Anticipating the Redemption. Nevertheless, as a whole, the exodus from Egypt will be secondary to the future redemption. The future redemption, by saying that it is characterized by wonders similar to those in the Egyptian exodus, but they will be greater. The future redemption, the end of the exile of Jacob, will be unique. It'll be a complete redemption that will never be followed by another exile. That was not true of the exodus from Egypt. Thus, the future redemption will surpass the redemption from Egypt. For this reason, according to one opinion, in the era of the Messianic redemption, we will no longer recall the redemption from Egypt. There's a reference to this in Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 14 through 16. So this is a commentary once again from page 20 of Rebbe Schneerson's book, Anticipating the Redemption. So the miracles of the coming redemption out of what? All the nations where Jacob has been exiled is going to be greater miracles than what happened historically in Egypt. Now we want to look at some other principles of exile and redemption. Principles of exile include the following. Exile comes about from sin or breaking the covenant. Exile is associated with the God of Israel hiding his face. When the God of Israel hides his face, the wicked in the world prosper. The exile is likened unto being in a wilderness. The exile is likened unto the people of the God of Israel being asleep. The exile is likened unto the presence of the God of Israel being in exile as well. The Shekinah or the Shekinah, which represents the presence of the God of Israel. In the book From Exile to Redemption by Rebbe Schneerson, there is a comment that says, what is the ultimate goal and intent of the exile? Exile is a process of atonement or refinement. As in the words of our prayers, because of our sins, we were exiled from the land. Exile is associated with the God of Israel hiding his face. And hiding his face means the world isn't visibly recognizing the God of Israel and his place in the world. And it seems that life doesn't make sense. The wicked can act wickedly and prosper and the righteous can act righteously and suffer. That's a characteristic of exile. But those things will not be the case in the time of the redemption. The exile is likened unto a wilderness. Wilderness alludes to the time of exile. This is also a commentary from the book From Exile to Redemption by Rebbe Schneerson. In uh, Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 35 it speaks of the wilderness of the nations. And the wilderness of the nations is a place of 
snakes and vipers and scorpions and drought. In other words, the enemies of the God of Israel are all around you when you are in the wilderness. Exile is associated with being asleep. And also, the divine presence of the God of Israel isn't manifested visibly in the earth so that all the world recognizes that Shekinah is in exile also. But, and we need to understand the principle that even though the people of the God of Israel are in exile, the God of Israel still is with his people. Remember what Yeshua said? I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. And he says, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of his people. Now principles of redemption includes the following. Redemption comes about when the people of the God of Israel repent. The repentance process is encouraged through suffering that comes upon the people of the God of Israel. And redemption is associated with the God of Israel revealing his faith. Redemption is like a birth pang. Redemption is not comprehensible to the logical mind. It is likened unto a dream. And the redemption is foreshadowed by the words Joseph and Isaac, or Yosef and Yitzhak in Hebrew. Why does the God of Israel hide his face? Why does it appear that he's not working in the world and in your life possibly the way you think that he should be working? And it seems like, where are you? He's hiding his face. Well, he hides his face for the purpose of arousing his people to seek his face and come back to him. That is because the relationship between the God of Israel and his people is likened unto a marriage. On the one hand, God has hidden his face from his people. As it says, on that day I will hide my face for they have turned to other gods. This is Deuteronomy chapter 31 verses 16 and 17. So all that we have to do to heal this rift, this marital rift between the God of Israel and his people is to turn our face back to him, to repent and to seek him and his ways. Oftentimes this process comes about through personal suffering. And how do we understand this principle? That's because the olive oil in the menorah in the Mishkan or the tabernacle it is said about it, it was crushed for illumination. Didn't Yeshua say that we are the light of the world? So in order to illuminate we have to be crushed. Israel is likened unto an olive tree or an olive to teach you that just as an olive does not release its oil unless it is crushed so too the people of the God of Israel don't show their true light which he's called us to be unless we go through a crushing as well. Prophetically this time of suffering is known as Jacob's stress or Jacob's trouble. When the God of Israel redeems his people he shows his power. He shows his mighty stretched out arm and his hand. It says I will display my power and I will bring forth my host from Egypt and Egypt will know that I am the God of Israel. Redemption is likened unto birth. Exile is likened unto pregnancy and redemption is likened to birth for Zion has been in labor and has given birth to her children. And so in Jeremiah chapter 30 verses 4 through 7 it talks about the people of the God of Israel being in travail and in Jeremiah 30 verse 7 it says that that time of travail is Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble was likened unto a birth pain. And in Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 it says there'll be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. So it's a time of a birth pain. It's a time of travail. For us in our minds to comprehend how the world's got to change as we have got accustomed to seeing it and understanding it to how it will be when the God of Israel displays his mighty hand and his outstretched arm and all the world recognizes the God of Israel. That is almost incomprehensible to the human logical mind. It's likened into a dream. Well, in Psalm 126, verse 1, it says, When God returned the exiles of Zion, we were like them who had dreamed. Well, that's going to conclude part one of the series on the subject, the themes of Passover.
Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.